What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and I'm not here with Alex Felice because uh, this is a super last-minute Saturday. In case you can't tell by the setup, the office is taken down. This is the last thing I'm recording in the house before I move. But I'm here with my friend Donald Appleberry, who uh, ironically was recruited out of the town like next door to where I was a recruiter. And we, his recruiter is a friend of mine, and um, we met two and a half, two years ago uh, out here. And Donnie's one of my go-to agents out here in San Diego, and we thought we'd do a podcast. We've been meaning to do one for a little while, and, well, we both don't have a life. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I was like, all right, dude, like, tonight is literally the going away party, hence the, like, twisted tease to, uh, while, while recording, we're doing a going away shindig at my house, and then uh, I'm out of here, but, uh, so it was either now or never, and uh, said we'd get him on, we're going to talk about, like, using your VA loan in the hot market, negotiation tips as a buyer in a hot market and how to kind of get past all the excuses that uh, people use for why they can't buy a house as a service member because the market's too hot right now. Um, maybe even touch on some speculations about what the market will do. But uh, anyway, Donald, uh, well, I guess I didn't really say much about him other than he's a real estate agent and I know where he enlisted, but yeah. uh, he was a recon Marine. He's, he's got some <clears throat> investment property, does some crypto, does a lot of other fun stuff and just a friend of mine, but figure let you, oh, and rookie of the year, 2020 yes, for San Diego County. So yeah. uh, clearly not a bad agent, right? Um, 12 million in yep. volume in eight months, seven no, months. No. Um, in 12 months, I had 10.5. In eight months, I had 7.5. And then year to date, I'm at about 16 million right now. <laughs> no big deal. So. Um, <laughs> and that's in the hottest market that I've ever seen. And I would argue one of the hottest markets in the country, even with everything going on right now. Uh, if you guys don't know what's going on in San Diego right now, as far as prices, it's fucking nuts. But we'll probably touch on that. But anyway, not Donald, sure. uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Hey guys, I want to interrupt this episode for just one minute to bring you a message from our sponsor for this episode, Rentometer. Now, whether you already have an established rental business or you're analyzing your first deal, knowing the correct rental income is absolutely crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why our go-to source for rental data is Rentometer. Real estate professionals rely on Rentometer because it's the fastest and easiest way to access quality rental data throughout the US. Now, don't take our word for it. Rentometer provides over 500,000 rent reports every single month and gets rave reviews from its customers. In fact, when I first became a real estate investor, Rentometer saved me $100 a month on my first property, which would pay for the entire Rentometer membership if you paid for the membership right off the bat. They have a free option to give it a trial. I use Rentometer Pro, it's absolutely worth your time. I still use it to verify my rent when I'm analyzing properties and it saved me, or rather earned me extra thousands of dollars over the last few years in rental income and I absolutely recommend that you give it a shot. So go to rentometer.com today to start your free seven day trial and grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer or 
click the link down in the show notes and that'll take you right there. Now let's dig into this show. Yeah, so I'm Donald, uh, go by Donnie. Um, I started as an investor or I guess a, a wannabe investor at first, you know, trying to break the ground um, when I was in the military, uh, probably like a lot of people um, on, the, on the page and watched um, bigger pockets, things like this. But um, I started initially by trying to get into wholesaling, right? Because that's like the lowest hanging fruit. Yep. And I fell into a trap there because it's the lowest hanging fruit. And the people that understand um, that there's a lot of people trying to get rich quicker or however you want to look at it, um, do one deal with a one page contract and make $50,000 on it by reassigning it to an investor, um, they monopolize this in a way. So they, they make this uh, program, you go in, you buy it. Not all programs are bad, do your own research, but I have a bunch of spiels on that. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it. But anyway, I fell into one. <laughs> from- I'm in a good one. There's not a whole lot of good ones. There's, there's two that I would recommend. But- yes. So like I said, they're not all are bad, but yeah. do your own research. I did not. I fell into the buzzwords. Um, I really liked the buzzwords and the get rich fast. Yeah, the cash, the I'm no money, five yeah. checks in the bank thing. <laughs> um, it was actually a prior military guy that put it together. It was prior Navy. Uh, I don't want to name drop, so I won't get sued. Uh, I don't know if he would sue me or not, but no, I'm safe. Uh, be safe. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, fell into that. Realized it was a scam, and then. Um, I kept going through the course actually to, to, to see what, you know, was on the other side and see like how I can better like tell people like, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And if this is happening or these things are happening, get out. It's a scam. Right. So one of the questions they asked me was, uh, um, how much money do you have set aside for investing in real estate? And I was an E3 in the military at the time. Um, I had like ones. Yeah, I had one in, uh, special incentive pay. It was like my, my jump wings or whatever, but it was like 125 bucks a month additional. So pretty much basic E3 pay and I wasn't married. So um, I told him $90,000, right? I did not have 90000 Nowhere near. Now, I was <laughs> I was living million dollar weekends, right? Some people might understand that. But um, sure enough, a couple weeks go by, they qualify me for the premium course because I'm so engaged in the Facebook page that I never went to. Um, and after a couple phone calls, drug out between the span of three, four weeks, um, at the very end, they pitched me a $90,000, um, mentor, mentorship, uh, course to work directly with the creator of the course. Right. So, uh, be careful out there. Anyway, I circled back, finally found bigger pockets and realized that, Hey, I should probably yeah. listen to bigger pockets and not, um, these gurus that are on the YouTube ads before bigger pockets. So, um, started learning, watched every single one, still watch them all to date, um, as much as I can anyway, listen to them in the car, but, um, started while I was in, I tried to, I tried to buy a house in Missouri. Oh. Um, I had no idea what I was, I'm lucky it didn't work out, honestly, cause I had no idea what I was, I sent an offer for like, I had like a little bit of money in the bank cause I just came back from deployment, not a lot. I like made an offer on those $40,000 house through the listing agent. Didn't know I made an offer. This is in Lebanon? No, Springfield. No. Um, oh. West side Springfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That could, yeah. Yeah. All right. It was okay. The two brothers inherited this property and didn't work out. I offered 38. They wanted 40. They came back to me two weeks later, said, we'll take 38. And I said, that was two weeks ago. Let's do 35 now. 
anyway, it didn't work out. Um, but the brothers ended up contacting me directly. They didn't want the property. So we did like a seller finance deal. Like, honestly, it was more, I have nothing to really, other than that seller finance deal to reference other than that seller finance deal. So I think yeah. realistically, it was probably more of a glorified lease option mm. in a way. So I pretty much managed the property for them for a larger percent. And they got like, they had like a 12% um, of rents and I had the property. I was responsible for everything, but rented it to my friend. Um, they wanted three grand down. I gave him three grand, uh, rented my friend. He gave me a $1,500 um, deposit, rented it to him by 500 bucks. My payment to them was like $234, like a weird number like that. Um, anyway, um, kept doing that for a little bit. I got married, started getting out. This is long-winded, sorry, but got married, started getting out, had a lot of moving parts, decided to let it go, told them, give it back. They're like, yeah, we'll take it with tenant in place. Like you did everything for us. Thank you. And I was like, yeah, I'm just <laughs> losing my mind here because I'm getting out of the military and doing this big change. Um, never intended on becoming an agent. Eventually, you know, just kind of met some of the right people, just weird, like coincidental things just happened and it put me on the path. So went for it and here I am. But um, to sum up everything else from then till now, bought a triplex in Imperial Beach. Yep. Uh, we were house hacking. <clears throat> Got it. Spit, spit the, drop the, drop the numbers. Yeah. So we got that under contract for a million even. Um, it appraised at a million twenty. Uh, had been sitting on the market for about seventy days, if I recall, sixty-four days, I think, actually. But um, the reason it had sold was because the sellers um, are Chinese. They had a Chinese listing agent. Um, they weren't investors. They were just putting their money here instead of keeping it in Hong Kong, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, just negative interest rates there. A lot of we have a lot of Chinese investors. Yeah, this house. Yep. My, so uh, it's this. All I know about this house is it was bought cash. The guy owns twenty something houses in the county, and my landlord's name is Sarah, spelled X I A O N G. Huh. So, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Chinese money. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's because um, I don't claim to know a lot about it, but from what I hear, they have negative interest rates over there, so they don't have any interest in making this an investment more as hedging against their countries. They do it a lot in uh, really big cities in general. Uh, yep. Hawaii has a ton of Chinese investors. Uh, a buddy of mine in San Francisco said there's like a million dollar condo on like, like penthouse level condo on the uh, tower, like right across from his and it's never been occupied. It's just empty. Yep. And yep. he knows he's an agent. So he's like, yeah, it's, it's purchased. It was purchased cash. They don't care about a tenant. It's just a hedge. Exactly, exactly. what you said. So, um, yeah, so I was talking to her, kind of realized that we started looking at the numbers, all the rents were below market. Um, one of them was dr- drastically below market. Um, it was a section eight tenant. Never, they've been there since 91, I believe. Jeez. Great tenants. Don't get me wrong. We still have them. great tenants, um, took immaculate care of the property, but their rent was like 1200 bucks and market rent was 1750. So we're like, okay, what's going on here? You know, so we got to adjust. But we can't adjust too much, yeah, because of the uh, stipulations. So we can talk about that. Because California, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we can dive into that in a yeah. second too. So, um, anyway, we went through. Uh, the reason it hadn't sold was because um, 
a lot of VA offers came through, but they required Section 1 termite clearance, right, which requires the property to be tinted, or most people assume requires the property to be tinted. They didn't want to displace tenants because um, I don't know the hard number off the top of my head, but I think it's like you have to pay X amount, like twice or three times the amount of rent owed to the tenant. So if you push them out three days, you have to pay them three times that day's worth of rent <laughs> for relocation um, during that period. Also, they have to take out all the food, they have to do all kinds of things, right? Yeah. So they didn't want to deal with that. They're not even in the country probably, right? Um, so like, yeah, we can't do VA because of that. So what I did was I found a solution to their problem um, through my vast network of trillion people and yeah. real estate that I, know. <laughs> I don't know all the answers, but I know enough people to know all the answers, right? So. Um, we found the answer. I brought them the solution with my offer, submitted it at asking, even though it had been sitting for a while, um, just because it had been sitting at the same price for four months in a pretty high appreciating market. So yeah. figured it'd come back a little high. Um, sent it over, got it accepted, and yeah, got it repositioned a little bit. We put in about $20,000 worth of work um, on renovating it and fixing it up. Um, reappraisal, we haven't done it yet, but we're in the midst of doing it. Um, we're expecting uh, about a 1.4, 1.42 reappraisal after you know putting zero down with the VA loan and having a pretty big boost in equity for yeah. $20,000 worth of work. Yeah, for and not much of an owner, like not, not owning it very long. Yeah, and we bought that into December. Um, we went under contract in December. Yep. Um, so I remember because you guys... The last time we drank it by house, yeah, is when we were this talking about. Yeah. yeah, so who knows what we're going to come out of tonight? Um, it's not. It's only been two or three times I've actually had people over to drink at the house. And one of them was last time <laughs> turned into me partnering with someone and buying a triplex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's right. He did it with another with another veteran. They they partnered on it. So. Yeah, um, not to dive in too deep to that, but he had already used his DA loan, so he didn't have entitlement but he had owned the property for two and a half years at this point um, when we were talking about it. And, but he had a little bit left and he had a pretty good paying W-2 job. I am a real estate agent. I do not have a W-2 job and I don't have two years of taxes on record yet. Yep. Um, so what we did is he brought the income, I brought the entitlement. Uh, we joined together on the VA, VA loan and we purchased the property as two. Yeah. So it is possible. You can do it. Um, the, there are a few drawbacks to that if you don't vet your partner. Um, I've, I've seen a few cases yeah. with that. And just a heads up, if someone brought, someone partnered with someone and they both came to me or they say they came to a lender and they think the partnership is good, but then they talk to the lender and they realize one of them has a lot of liability that they're bringing to the table and the other one's perfectly clean. If they buy that property, they're both going to be responsible for that liability, right? Yep. So legally, I can't tell either person that, and neither can the lender. So make sure you do your own due diligence on vetting your partner. Yep. Um, so to put that in layman's terms, if we partner on a fucking property and I have like shit with creditors and bad debt and all this other crap, the lender can't tell him that. Like, you know, if he doesn't know, he doesn't know. And it's not hard for me to be like, well, yeah, no, I'm good, man. And then especially if we're using his income and his financials to qualify for the loan, he's now partially responsible for my shit. The creditors can come after 
him on the property too, and they can put a lien against the house and whatever. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I can't say I've seen that because if I said I'd seen that, it would imply that somebody had told me about some of that stuff. Not this guy. Um, right. But, but, but I may or may not have heard of situations like that from other people. Uh, yeah, it happens. Yeah. And it, it sucks. It doesn't always work out, turn out bad, but you know, obviously if you're, you know, this, especially if it's your first property, you don't want, don't want it to be, um, totally shot down because of who you partnered with didn't tell you the truth. Right. So, um, be skeptical, but you know, trust would verify. Yep. So, all right, so now we got into a little bit about you, and obviously we know you're fucking rookie of the year for San Diego, which, by the way, I thought was just like amongst your brokerage, but I saw the award yesterday. That's yeah. a much bigger pool of people. One out of hundred and forty thousand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. no big, no big deal. Look at yeah, that subtle, was, subtle flex he's got going on over there. I was, I was pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah, I was like, I saw the award. I was like, oh, oh, that's a much bigger deal than yeah. That's fucking yeah. sweet, dude. Yeah. Um, so that's who you have to look forward to if you use one of our recommended agents. Not that I'm, you know, going to shamelessly plug that in there. Thank um, you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right. So San Diego, right? You were clearly successful this year because you've done a lot of real estate transactions. But Donald, we can't we can't buy with the VA loan in an expensive market in a crazy seller's market like we got going on right now. It just doesn't work. No, the VA loan is not competitive. But what is it you specialize in? Uh, VA and investing. Yeah, all right. So how is it that you're able to do so well when everyone, for some reason, thinks the VA loan isn't competitive in a, sell in a hot market? So there are quite a few factors. That you get, I'll break it down. There's three big factors you need to think about when, okay, when you're uh, submitting an offer, or especially if it's VA. The first thing is who you're... Obviously, I'm. A, I'm this is going to sound biased, right? But who you're working with, agent, lender, team, whatever it is, they need to be very cohesive when they're working together, and they they need to be looking out for your best interest and be able to perform on what they're telling you they can do. So um, I don't want to discredit any companies. I know people have had good and bad experiences with probably most companies. Um, I don't typically recommend Navy Fed or USAA for mortgages. Um, you can say you go to, I, I wonder, I was going to use the name John, but you're, John's like, I was going to use the name John because it's a John, common name. John, John might walk in in a minute and he is somebody that yeah, I know. So John Smith is what I This is, by the way, the John who was on the podcast last week by yeah. the time you hear this. Um, you talk to John, agent or lender John Smith. <laughs> But then you go talk to Steve Smith. Jobs. Steve Jobs yeah. as the lender, right? So you talk to Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs tells you, oh, he quoted you a 3% rate. Well, let me quote you a 2.75% rate. Cool. In this market, that sounds realistic, sounds doable. What is this guy doing where he can't get a better rate as this guy? Um, but then say he matches it, takes some points away, and then this guy says, you know what? I'll do it for 2.25, no points. And he's like, okay, then... All these other things go into into play. I'm not a lender, so may, if I'm saying something that sounds a little off to some of the lenders, um, yeah, I don't know all your lingo, right? So, <laughs> anyway, what happens is they might promise you the best deal. You might get under contract with that promise. If they cannot deliver and close, then what's the point of having that pre-approval? What's the point of having that approval if they can't perform on it? Then you're at close of escrow. This just happened to one of my mentees actually, um, where the 
the buyer ended up going with their lender and the lender couldn't perform on what they promised them. Now it's five days past close of escrow, sellers are getting antsy and they're saying, what's going on? And it's on the lender because the lender couldn't perform on the loan he promised he could. So rate isn't the end all be all when you're looking at the loan to get. Yeah. Right. So with that out of the way, make sure the agent you have working for you is also um, not just a, I always call it like a Sunday mimosa, Sunday brunch mimosa drinking agent, right? It's, it's got to be, there is a glam aspect to being a real estate agent. And that's because you show up, you know, not put together and not. Says the guy who drove up here in an Aston Martin. Yes. Yes, I did. But I, I'm a cheapskate at heart. I want to, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that later. All right, sorry about we'll, it. we'll get to it. He's, he bought it smart. Okay. But, um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but, uh, make sure they're put together, make sure not just, you know, personally, but professionally. And what I mean by that is how you package your offer and send it over matters a lot. You could have the best offer, but if an agent just goes through, sends it through DocuSign and puts the, the listing agent's um, email in there and it goes from DocuSign to the buyer, to you, straight to the, the listing agent. There's no like context, there's no breakdown. Um, in between the signing period, your agent has been talking to the listing agent. Um, there's no rapport built, there's no you know questions asked. Like that matters a lot and it stands out to, to the listing agents and it stands out to um, yeah. the other side, which regardless of what side you're on. Um, it stands out, right? So I can't tell you the number of listing agents I've called that have never got back to me or has never picked up the phone, but I still call them, right? I still send them texts. I still send them emails, even if they don't respond. I, you know, in this market, I kind of understand why, because, you know, if someone's only doing listings and they have five listings and they're all going live in one weekend, you know, if we're having 20, 30 offers on every property, you got to think as a buyer's agent, they probably have 10, 20 uh, phone calls a day for each property, not not including, you know, the random emails they're getting, asking kind of ridiculous questions, which we'll kind of go into next. But um, they get overwhelmed, right? They have to turn the phone off. They have to say text only. They have to open the voicemail. Do we check their voicemail every hour? It gets overwhelming. So um, make sure your buying lending team is put put together well, works cohesively together, and and knows how to package. A, a deal properly, especially if you're using VA. So when it comes to the VA loan, um, a lot of people think you can't close quick with a VA loan, which is um, very arguable. And actually someone that I closed the VA loan with in 12 days, is here now, um, it is doable. So that deal I'm speaking of uh, in particular, we were actually up against two cash offers and we beat up two cash offers as a VA finance deal. Um, reason being is because we put the package together correctly or professionally, we weren't wordy. We weren't over the top. We didn't ask unnecessary questions. We asked important ones and it resonated to the agent. The agent understood like, Hey, we're serious buyers. My clients are serious clients and this is our offer. And we dropped contingencies as low as we could, um, as fast as we could without over promising and under, under delivery. Um, and we, we made it happen. We actually, that one, the weird story, uh, completely unrelated. It was supposed to close in 12 days and closed in like 10 days, nine days or 10 days because of an underwriting error. Either way, we would have closed in 12 days. We closed earlier than that. 
uh, if someone tells you VA is not competitive against cash, it is. You just have to make sure you're structuring the deal right and the, the seller feels comfortable taking a finance deal over a cash deal. The reason cash is so powerful or same as cash is so powerful is because there's no contingencies a lot of the time, right? Or they say there's no contingencies and it can close quick. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I don't know if it's someone's first time selling a house, they think they're going to get a briefcase of cash at the door and that's not how it works, right? You get paid the same way if it's cash or financed. Um, it just goes through a small process because you have to finance the buyer. So, um, yeah, structuring the deal. Um, a lot of people, and as much as I hate to say this right now, a lot of people are waiving appraisal contingencies. Are waiving appraisal contingencies. And I don't recommend it often. Like, And I'm not recommending it now just so that's not misconstrued. But people are waiving appraisal contingencies all over the place. And the reason being is because appraisers are having a difficult time saying, yes, this is appraising at value, even if it's at list price. A lot of times right now, sellers are thinking, hey, everything's going over asking, so I'm gonna list my price above the value, and that's not what you should be doing. So that's not every case, but that is some. And that's why you know there is a little bit more hesitation with appraisers. And um, you know, I'm not gonna go into my inflation rants. I did a little bit of my Instagram today, and you know, I'm just, I think that plays a big part in why appraisers are so hesitant or can't find value right now. Um, but make, make sure you structure that. I wouldn't waive appraisal um, and never waive inspection. I would say what we do is we make it as low as possible. So a lot of times I'll do you know a, a five to eight day inspection uh, contingency. And the moment I get that, hey, you, so as soon as I get a counter, um, I'm like, okay, I start prepping. You know, I have, I have my home inspectors on you know, my favorites tab for my messages. So um, as soon as we get a counter, okay, I'm like, right, I prep the text and then I send it over. Once we get offer accepted, all I do is send a prep text to with the, um, with the address to my home inspector and he schedules me. So the moment it's accepted, before we even open escrow, I'm scheduling the home inspection. This doesn't work for everything because sometimes it's, you know, if it's an occupied place, they need to make sure it's fine with the tenants um, or the owners at the time. But, uh, you know, at least getting a date from him, what are the availabilities, I send that to the listing agent as soon as the offer is accepted. That way you can get your inspection done with such a short contingency um, and any repairs done, request repairs uh, before that timeline shows up. So you're not, once again, over-promising and under-delivering. You don't want to overpromise the seller or the listing agent and then still undeliver by being late on your contingencies. And then um, for when it comes to VA, there are some, uh, I guess, requirements and restrictions. And I understand where some of the hesitation comes from the listing sides um, or the seller sides, but a lot of it is myth. A lot of it is just a misunderstanding of what the new VA loan is. And um, things like the appraisers are a little more conservative. Yes in a way, um, but at the same time, I we did a deal in Fallbrook. It was, one of, it was like my fourth client ever actually. Did a deal in Fallbrook that was owned by a hoarder for 40 years, um, had rats, in, dead rats in the walls. Um, one of the, we had two heating systems, one of them didn't work. And when we looked inside the ventilation, there were rodent droppings in there, right? Which is a huge hazard, right? Um, had a lot of problems, but the bones were good. 
It was an old house. It was the rat bones. Yes, the rat bones were solid. No, um, the the property was good. And it just needed a lot of cosmetic work and, you know, a decent amount of, honestly, health and safety things that we did take care of. But the appraiser signed it off, said, hey, came in at value and it's good. And that, that was like a total gut job flip, honestly. And then I had a deal, that same deal that closed in 12 days or 10 days, um, where we had an appraiser say, hey, there's a couple pieces of chip paint on the wall or on the exterior of the wall. You need to repaint the whole house, right? So it's not the VA loan. It's it's the appraiser you get, right? And it's honestly, you know, there's not like some crazy inside program or inside knowledge that appraisers have that other people don't. It's literally uh, and a factor of human error like when it comes down to getting a bad appraisal. So that's why people say, and I actually mentioned this in the group the other day, when people are like, hey, my appraisal came back low. What do I do? Like, uh, am I screwed? Like, no, like you have to realize the appraiser or appraisal was done by an appraiser. There's, there's room in there for human error. With the amount of property selling right now, the amount of property selling above asking, you need to make sure that that, that appraiser isn't missing comps, that they're not missing or, or kind of, uh, ignoring um, some comps out there because there's been two times now where, and it wasn't the listing side, it was, you know, I submitted the comps to the listing agent uh, where we had a low appraisal, Tidewater, and we went back. I looked at the comps they had and I sent them the actual comps, the up to date comps, and we got an in at value. Now, some people are going to say, what's the point of um, helping your client pay more for a house. You're just a list, you're just an agent trying to get a higher commission, right? And that's not the case because if we didn't send those comps over and bring the value, you're not changing the value, right? You're not, you're not just increasing the price. You're, you're increasing the value of the property. So even if they would have dropped the price, it would have been the same value, right? So, um, we sent it over, got it back up to contract price. And my client went from this deal is dead back to the drawing board to, I still have the house I love. It's still affordable. And because it was the price we sent over and we got the deal done. So that's happened twice. So you can fight tight water appraisals. Um, it's not, you know, it's not easy, but it's not difficult either. Just like real estate in general. So um, I'd say overall due diligence, the team you have, and then make sure you're running your numbers, but don't, <clears throat> You know, I don't want to say anything, you know, bad towards like bigger pockets or anything like that. I love bigger pockets. A lot of the programs and things though, like people take for gospel, for example, the 1% rule. And I've been saying 1% rule is not really one that works here. It would be great to have a bunch of 1% properties here, but um, we're in a premium market. Yeah, you'd you know, be at $10,000 a month for a million dollar house. Yes. And it's just not realistic. Right. And the reason being, um, especially for California now, you know, rents can only go up a true 5% each year, but um, appreciation's been, you know, last three, four years have been 8% plus. So how are you supposed to keep rents at market when appreciation's outpacing rental increase? You can't, unless you, every year you're kicking tenants out and putting them back in. And that, that alone can be, you know, more costly than just keeping the tenants in there. Yeah, absolutely. Carpet and paint and all these other things. Um, but thankfully, not too long ago, uh, I want to say last week, Brandon Turner actually went on Bigger Pockets and addressed the one percent rule um, in particular, and was like, um, 
you know, is the 1%, if a property doesn't meet the 1% rule, is it a bad deal or is it a bad deal? And he was even like, eh, not really. There's way too many factors, way too many, many variables in real estate to base your entire strategy off of a, a rule that that also relies on a lot of factors. What's up, guys? Hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to stop for just a few seconds to talk once more about Rentometer. And no, they did not sponsor the second ad. This is a mid-roll ad. They sponsored the beginning of the show, but I believe in Rentometer enough that I wanted to just poke my head in here and reiterate that you guys should give it a shot. It's a seven-day free trial. This will absolutely save you money by helping you get greater rents on a property or helping you avoid from trying to ask for too much in rent and sitting vacant forever, which can be almost as costly, if not worse. So I absolutely recommend that you go try Rentometer for free at rentometer.com or the link down in the show notes and give them a shot. You absolutely can't lose with a free trial that will literally make you thousands of dollars on your rentals. Now back to the episode. Yeah, like the 1% rule is great, but it, it doesn't, like the 1% rule was, the idea is if a property meets the 1% rule, then you can basically assume that it will cash flow. It doesn't mean anything under 1% rule is a garbage deal. Right. It just means do your freaking due diligence, right? Like when you get into a million dollar property, you got to factor in, you're probably paying down 2000 a month in principle, right? You buy a hundred thousand dollar house, you're paying down like 200 bucks. So totally different ball game right there. And then like you got to figure in, um, the maintenance, repairs, capex, and stuff like that on a hundred thousand dollar house is probably about the same as a million dollar house with the same square footage. There might be a little bit of a price difference, but not ten times. Right. It's not like your water heater goes from a thousand dollar water heater to a ten thousand dollar water heater just because your house is more expensive. Yeah. So there's a lot of things to factor in there where you might be able to get away with a 0.7 or 0.8 percent rule house, or even even less depending on the market, especially if you've got solid appreciation, you're paying on principal, you've got, like, there's all these other factors that go into it. 100%. And a lot of the investors out here, um, there's, you know, a couple that I'm pretty close with that uh, swear by the 0.65% rule is what they say for San Diego. They say if it meets 0.65%, then that's a deal they take. And they're pretty savvy investors. Um, one of them actually makes sure, um, ensures that he when he's upgrading his portfolio, he lists below 0.65% for rents. That way other investors see that it is, is a deal and it gets sold faster than other properties on the market. Because if you're a sophisticated investor, which we have a lot of them out here, they're not looking at the purchase price as much as they are the, the actual investment breakdown. Obviously the purchase price plays a role in that, but if everything pans out and it's you know like coming down like cap rates and things like that, if cap rate meets what they're looking for, if um, the rental ratio um, meets what they're looking for, then they take the deal. It's not like not necessarily based on purchase price alone, which a lot of people, um, you know, base their entire purchase around the purchase price. Which there's a lot of other factors to look into. I'm not saying purchase price is not important. Obviously, it is. You know, make sure you try to get the best deal at the lowest price you can. Um, but like I said, we are in a market with a lot of sophisticated investors. And typically people know what they own here. So you're not gonna find that distressed property. Oftentimes, I'm not gonna say, you know, this is 100%, but oftentimes you're not gonna find that uh, distressed property with a distressed seller who will take, you know, $200,000 for their property and it's worth eight, right? And once you start, um, even, even here, I try to do a little wholesaling and we talked to um, one person who was gonna sell their house for 400 and it was worth about six 
But the more and more we talked to her and the more and more we followed up with her, she looked more into selling the property and was like, well, why wouldn't I just take my property to market and sell for 600, if not more in the market we're in? And then why would I give it to you for 400? And so they start asking those kind of questions. Whereas, you know, because if, if you're looking at percent wise, you offer 70% below value, right? So there's some spread in there from the investor and maybe a wholesale fee if you're trying to do a wholesale. But when you're in the Midwest, that's, a, you know, it could be a small number, right? 70,000. 30 grand difference right. rather than a 300,000. Exactly. Spread, yeah. But then when you're here in a more expensive market, that's a lot more money. And even though it's only percents, you know, when people see those dollar signs, um, when you add a comma or an extra comma in there on um, different price points, then people get a little more picky and would rather pay a two and a half well, two and a half percent commission then then uh discount the property and sell it off market um with that being said actually um my last four deals this year have been off market um they haven't been listings and hmm. i've been doing um cooperating buyer broker agreements with the the seller and we've done deals off market so um, kind of interesting. That's kind of where it's going. A lot of um, a lot of sellers, you know, don't either want to prep for sale, or I have one seller still that uh, wants to hold on to the property because of how fast properties are appreciating or going up in value, I should say. Um, and they want to hold off a little longer so they can get more. Which I'm like, you know, it's time in the market. You have to be in a seller's market. Sellers don't want to sell. That's why I have low inventory because they want to keep making a lot of money. And then in a buyer's market, buyers don't want to buy because the incentive is if you buy real estate, it's never going up again. Or we'll never see the prices we saw. Um, and then you know, yeah, ten years later, gloom. Yeah, it's just how it works. It's you know, narrative and emotion based a lot of the time, just like most buying and selling markets. So um, it's interesting. But uh, yeah, we've done four F three. I got no, I guess one's in a contract now. I have two more off markets um, with exclusive right, but the developer, this is from a, um, a builder, developer doesn't want uh, to list right away because uh, he he wants to move his money into the next projects right now because he has a lot of really good op- opportunities. So he doesn't want that lag time. So what we've been doing is marketing, hey, if this is an unfinished product, um, you kind of have to have a vision for it and see where it's going. Um, the buyer comes in, kind of picks up some of the, literally like a regular new construction deal, um, comes in, picks some of the finishing touches, cosmetic only, no structural changes. And then uh, we they send over an offer, they get it accepted. The, the one we just did was VA. Um, they get it accepted. And once they have final stamps of approval and everything from the city, that's when we open escrow and commence the contract. Um, so it's not necessarily a new construction deal. And move forward and buyer gets kind of a customized home experience as well as a property that had no competition, um, which also plays back into the point where you need to make sure the agent you're working with is also working for you, not just sending over an offer for you, not just doing paperwork for you. Yeah. And I'll vouch for the fact there that I say to the Facebook group all the time when people are like, Oh, the VA loan is not like your agent and or your lender isn't doing what they need to do. Right. Because immediately, like I've seen you and, John's hiding over here on the stairs, but like I've, I've literally seen Donnie text or call John and be like, Hey, we got an offer. And then John jump on the phone with the listing agent and talk through like, 
this is what I'm going to do with the VA loan. I'll offer you a per diem if we don't close on time. There's this, there's this. Let me address all your concerns. No, it'll close. Here's why it'll close. This is my reputation. I can do it this fast. Yes, I promise I can do it that fast. Yes, I'll offer you $250 a day if I don't close it that fast and it's my fault. Um, and then they get it under, under contract because the agent and the lender know the product, know what they're capable of, believe in the product, and are willing to put their own reputation on stake behind it. So if you're not, and this is in a market where properties are routinely going over asking price like that. Um, so if your agent, if, if you're not able to get something under contract because of the idea that the VA loan is not competitive or the VA loan won't do this, the VA loan won't do that. Unfortunately, it probably is because either your agent or your lender doesn't believe in the product or isn't capable of doing, or they're not confident in their own ability to stake anything behind it, right? They don't have skin in the game. And that's unfortunate, but that's the reality. So I just throw that out there because every time I say that, somebody, everyone's like, oh no, my agent's great. Maybe, but they might not understand the VA loan, right? Like your lender might be great, but there are a ton of really great lenders out there who don't understand the VA loan because it's not... There isn't a company out there that is like, we do the VA loan. There are companies out there that are like, hey, we do a lot of loans and we also do the VA loan. But there's not, there's very select lenders in markets who actually focus on mastering the VA loan and don't, I'm not going to get into the tangent, but like just because Veterans United says they specialize in the VA loan doesn't mean they're really that good. Um, they seem to close a little late and have extra fees hidden in there. And even still with them and with any big bank, you're still running the issue of, Maybe that specific lender is okay at the VA loan and they, you know, have done it. Like, but there's a big difference between someone who's done the VA loan or who can do the VA loan and who focuses on the VA loan. Like you, your niche is working with VA buyers. So you understand the VA loan a ton more than most agents. And then you work with lenders who specialize in the VA loan. Yeah. And so you guys know what you're capable of doing. You're willing to stake your reputation and throw a little skin in the game behind it. And you guys close properties all day long. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of misinformation out there that is, uh, I guess, uh, misconstrued as law or actual like literature because there's literature on these misinformation points. Um, and actually it was with John, uh, we, we like dove into the VA guidelines for a while and, uh, tried to explore it, the, all the possibilities to the point where we literally found like this niche market that doesn't exist, but the VA technically would cover. Uh, but that market for lending isn't in existence. So it's like, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and you know, I, I honestly wouldn't expect every lender to understand the, all of the VA loan rules and guidelines because there are a lot. Um, and if you're doing a lot of different loans, then, um, you know, sure. Maybe you don't know it in depth, but you know, make sure you, if you're only using the VA loan, I would try it. I would highly recommend use a team that does know the VA loan. I'm not advocating myself. I'm not saying, I'm not recommending me out there. Obviously I would be glad to help, but um, make sure you vet your agent, make sure they know the VA loan. I know a handful of VA loan agents that are very good, very professional, uh, but I know a lot that say they are. And uh, all they do is run Instagram ads. I hate to say it, you know, I'm an agent too. I'm not trying to discredit other agents, but there's, you know, what, what's the rule is uh, 90% of the agents do 10% of the deals, 10% of the agents do 90% of the deals. And there's a reason for that because you can get your real estate license for $302 in California and go take 
a one weekend quiz, and then you have your real estate license after learning nothing about real estate. Real estate exam does not teach you about real estate. Been licensed since 2017 and never sold a house. So yeah, understandable. And yeah. So it's when people, just because someone's licensed age doesn't mean they're, you know, a professional. So yeah, they don't teach you crap. About right. It. They, they teach you how to, they teach you the legal mumbo jumbo to not get in trouble. They don't yeah. tell you how to negotiate. They don't tell you market trends. They don't tell you, you guys have heard me talk about it a million times. Don't just get sucked into using a friend or family member as an agent because they have a license. Because unless they're a full-time real estate agent, they aren't going to be, they might have your best interest at heart, but they don't know what they're doing. Like you wouldn't give your 10 year old the keys to a Ferrari and say, well, he's my son. So I'm sure he'll take care of it. Okay. He still doesn't know how to freaking drive the car. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a really big misconception um, that a lot of people make, you know, even, even I am guilty of it is, yo, I got my real estate license. Now my friends and family will use me as an agent, right? This is my, would have been my first deal. My best friend at the time, uh, Jag, um, he was looking to buy a house. I put him in touch with a lender. Um, I put him, you know, outlining the process, you know, I was familiar with it. I'd been, I guess, interning as an agent for like eight months because I had this huge um, licensing delay. Uh, but walked him through the process, you know, taught him some basic stuff about real estate, how to set it up for, you know, two, three years out from now when he goes back to the East Coast. Um, and it was good and all. And then when it came time to actually go do the deal, he ended up using a different lender because he didn't trust me. Well, it's not that he didn't trust me. I'll get in that in a second. He ended up using a different lender and he ended up using a different agent. And I was heartbroken at first, but I had to take a step back, swallow my pride and say, why did you do that? Well, simple fact is he was my best friend to the military, right? We were the same billet um, on different platoons and different teams, right? So we had the same job, just he ran in first platoon, I ran in second platoon. Um, so when we would get together, you know, we'd go out, have those million dollar weekends together right um you know go make memories if you will keep trying to keep this pg and um when it came time for a professional relationship we had too much history uh with a personal relationship he knew too much about me before i was donald the real estate agent right or donald the real estate investor he knew me as donnie the hype man right <laughs> so um when it came time to make that decision, he wanted to use someone that he only knows on a professional level. Um, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't anything personal. It's just the fact that we were so close actually is the reason why he didn't use me. So I wish, honestly, it might sound bad now I say it out loud. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but this happens all the time. Like, you know, if, um, I mean, I actually tell people not to use a brand new agent who's a friend or a friend or family member unless right. they do like at least four deals a year to be relevant in that market. Yeah, you have to. So I would have told your friend not to use you yeah. without knowing anything about you. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Your recon buddy that you used to get drunk with got yeah. his license yesterday and you think that's the best agent exactly. out there? Like, exactly. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. So, so <laughs> when Susie gets her license and she gets mad that her friends and her peer group and her family members, even parents don't use her as an agent. Um, she gets really butthurt and says, why didn't you use me? That would have been, um, in, in their mind, that would have been an easy paycheck. Right. And in reality, it's not because you're not, you're not working for them. So you get paid, you just get paid for working. Right. If that makes, if that makes sense, like you're handling 
a massive transaction. You are in charge of their money, right? You, they are trusting you to make finance or help them guide them on making financial decisions and best courses of action to take during a real estate transaction. And if you, if that's not what you're focused on and you're more focused on the commission check at the end, um, you're not going to succeed in the market, especially in a market like this at a, at a time like this, at a hot level like this. So, yeah, I mean, I get hit up all the time by agents who want to be like, you know, a member of the, they see that I have some recommended agents and they're like, Oh, I want to be one of your agents or whatever. There's a guy in San Diego who reached out. Well, there's a, a several people. There's a lot of people in San Diego who reach out. Uh, but like, I, I've gotten to the point now where it's like the first things I ask is like, how long have you had your license? Average number of deals closed a year. Right. Right. Like, and unless you've had your license for like at least a year and done at least five, but I, I usually like, I'm looking generally for, Hey, you've had your license for over a year. You average 10, 10 deals a year. Like, all right. 12, preferably like one a month. Then it's like, okay, cool. Now we're, now, now we're talking that like, a you're full time. B, you're consistent. You know, it's not like just a one here, one there. Like you understand, you want to have your finger on the market, right? Like the market changes. I mean, shoot, look at today's real estate market compared to six months ago in yeah. San Diego. Like yeah. totally different beast. Six months ago, people were like, oh my God, the market in San Diego is so hot. People are getting 30 offers a, a weekend. It comes on the market. Now it's like, oh my God, if you don't have a $40,000 appraisal waiver and you're offering, you know, 50,000 over asking price within the first like 10 hours without looking at the house. Well, we're not even going to look at your offer. Right. <laughs> so it's like, right. Oh, I don't even want to know what's going to happen. If things keep up like this six months from now, it's going to be like, uh, yeah, well, you weren't one of the 50 offers we received before the house went on the MLS. So, um, pound sand cause you waited until we listed it. Exactly. Peasant. Now, now the thing is, Oh my goodness, this, house went to the market. Why did this property go to market? <laughs> Especially if someone's on a team and they have a listing and you're like, how did you not sell this? Right? Like yeah, we're getting 20, 30 totally. offers on every property. How did you not sell this in house before you list it? Right. Cause there's that little grace period. Um, when you get the contract signed to prep it for sale. What is, what, is, just humor me for a minute. What is days on market look like right now in San Diego? So I actually post on my or, or inventory or however you best. Yeah. So days on market, I break it down by, I, I think I do it's like nine or 10 different zip codes in San Diego that I break down every month and I reflect the data all besides one went down. I think there was one that, you know, as overall for San Diego County, I would say if you exclude the outliers, right? The ones that have been overpriced for two years out in Ramona that no one wants, right? Because it's way on the boonies and is overpriced um, and needs a lot of work. If you get rid of those kind of outliers or even the really desirable $25 million property in La Jolla that has a really niche buyer for it, if you get rid of those, um, I think realistically, we're probably looking at like maybe eight days on market. I, I honestly, that's just a, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm sure there are some solid hard numbers, but I want to say eight days, but in real reality, it feels like three days, Friday, Saturday. They're only counting stuff that went on market. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing. Like at what point are you able to like, okay, well, we're going to add in a negative three for this one. Cause it sold three days before they were going to list it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no. And that's what, that's literally what my last handful of deals have been. Um, I, you know, 
I was talking about this earlier this year with my previous team. Um, one of the agents on there, uh, Cody, good friend of mine, we were kind of bouncing back and forth and we worked with a lot of buyers and I wanted to start, you know, pushing for sellers a little bit more, just kind of how the, how the direction the market was going. I was like, we should, you know, we're all getting more and more buyers, but very few listings are popping up and the people that get listings are also getting these buyers too. So I'm like, we should probably turn and change focus to, to listings. So I did, I took a hit too. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I took a hit where I had a month where uh, I was slow. You know, I had a lot of buyers coming in, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything under contract for a little bit. And reason being is just I had to readjust my focus from the buying side to, to the listing side so I can better serve my buyers, right? Just because I didn't put someone under contract on a property 40000 over asking doesn't mean I wasn't working for my client. I was still you know, outsourcing. And now um, one of my buyers um, that I actually got um, after partnering with um, uh, an agent from Orange County on David, Green team, David Green's team, um, I found a property in Oceanside. We have it off market. They don't want to really throw it on market because they're going to you know, still be here for a little bit. And they don't want to be moving around and then come back and then have to pack and move again. So what's what's happening is they're going to, they want to sell for 620000 The property is probably worth 640000 um, I told them this. I was, you know, upfront about them. Hey, this is what your pr- property comp's at. This is the price they told me they initially wanted. I'm like, you're a little low, honestly, which is the exact opposite of what people who try to sell by themselves are. They're usually way high. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, you're a little low. And... And we talked about their strategy. You know, they have like a $2,000 a month mortgage payment. They're leaving this fall. I told them not to sell. And um, we talked a little bit longer and they said they're, you know, they're about to get a camper anyway. So they want to go in the camper, kind of travel around San Diego, camp out. When when he gets out, they're going to travel the U.S., go camp at certain places. And they'd rather have the money now. This guy's first name is not Richard, is it? No, it's not. Okay. One of the guys I work with literally just moved out of his house into a camper like last week. Nice. For, maybe that's, a, that, maybe that's that a new thing going on, you know? So, um, ironically, this guy was, you know, uh, or I wouldn't say ironically, but this guy was actually very level-headed when it came to this. Like a lot of, you know, when you talk to a lot of sellers, you know, they hear market incentive. They don't hear like actual facts and stats about the market. So, they hear hot market, you can sell at whatever price just because an agent wants to get an appointment with you. So they say, you know, the text line is, would you would you consider selling for a ridiculous offer on your home? Right. I I know so many people that send this line in a text-based campaign. And they say, Yeah, sure, what's a ridiculous price? Right. That's the obvious question. And he's like, Hey, I need to come buy the house, you know, to look it over, kind of give you the insight, and then I can present you the offer. Get the appointment is what they're trying to do. They're not trying to give you a price or sell your house over the phone. So, um, but this guy, he was like, yeah, you know, I don't want to try to time the market anymore. He's like, you know, prices are high. I'm happy with the gain I have. If it goes up, it goes up. I don't care. I've already made my profit, but I don't make my profit until I sell. And a lot of people, and not just real estate, but other investing strategies fail to recognize that, that just because your account reflects a certain amount or your value of your asset reflects a certain amount doesn't doesn't mean anything until you've actually cashed out or liquidated, right? Yeah. Or sold. So um, he's like, I'm happy with the gain I have. I'd rather get this done now and not risk any chance of the market correcting or softening. 
we had the conversation. I don't think that's the case. Numbers don't say that's the case, but had the um, conversation. Anyway, wrapping it up, um, they're going to end up selling for a 620. That buyer the, from the David Green team, um, we're going to submit a 620, and he's going to get a property $20,000 under rough value. Obviously, we have to get the appraisal done, um, but $20,000 under. It's been mostly updated. There's a, one room that needs a little, a little bit of work. Um, but it's not anything major. It's just like flooring and paint. It's just a, like a storage room that could be a bedroom and, and that's it. So they did termite work a year ago. So it's going to be clean. It's going to be an easy deal and it's both good for the seller and good for the buyer, yeah. but it didn't even go to market. And that client, I've shown him two properties, my second one being today. And I've had that client for two and a half, three weeks now. So. If you look on the outside and say, oh, Donnie's had a client for three weeks, but he's only showed him two houses. He's not doing his job. He's not working for him. But on the back end where people don't see, where people, agents aren't taking Instagram photos or Instagram stories of the show. Champagne and mimosas. Right. Where they're not doing anything flashy. They're sitting in front of the computer calling for four hours a day um, off markets and trying to have conversations with potential sellers to connect them with their buyers. That's what's going on in the background. So. Um, it's not what every agent does and it's not a bad thing that every agent doesn't do that. Um, but I prefer to work a lot. Um, I'm trying to balance it now. Um, just because my wife's getting tired of me working all the time, but, uh, you know, she gave me a year, so I'm going to probably start bouncing that. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of what it comes down to as far as the market side right now. I think it's better that agents are, uh, and there are a lot of agents looking for off market, but it's, you know, there's a hundred agents to talk to one seller. Why does that seller pick the one, one agent? So same thing comes down to buy side. You just do just as much due diligence. All right. So we're gonna have to wrap up here in a second. Cause it's, we've been at it for almost an hour now. We got people coming over in a minute. Um, what's the one thing you think a VA buyer should know in a hot market? Okay. Um, there's a one thing. It just seems like there, there's, there's a few things, but I guess something interesting. The one thing. The one, <laughs> the one thing. I'll keep it to one. I've been rambling a little bit, so I'm sorry. No, but, uh, it's a podcast. You're supposed to talk. I'm supposed to sit here. Okay. Um, drink more twisted tea, which they're not bad. Here in my hand, if I. Um, <laughs> the one thing. So, this has not necessarily been confirmed for sure because not a lot of people understand VA loan, but waiving appraisal on a VA loan is more of a paper gesture. In, in my opinion, reason being is so you could, if you don't have proof of funds, if you don't send anything over, even if you do send over proof of funds and you waive the um, appraisal contingency and it's VA finance, you still have what's called FHA and VA um, mandatory clause. That means when you fill that out, there's a price on there you put, which is typically the offer price. And you say, we will not pay above this amount. But that is also tied, that's for the loan, right? So if the appraisal comes in and it comes in low, that clause still activates, right? So even if, say you put it in at 560 and it comes in at 550, that clause is still going to activate and say, hey, we can't fund because of this clause. We cannot fund up to 560. Mm -hmm. We can only fund to 550. So a lot of people are like, hey, will you remove the appraisal contingency on the VA loan? I'm like, sure, man, like I will. But um, if, you know, <laughs> once I have the conversation with my clients, I, you know, someone asked me the other day to do that. And I was just like, I literally, it was a, 
with one of my other main lenders. And, you know, I call him, talk to him. And I'm like, hey, man, this is what he's saying. And he's like, I don't think you can even really do that, right? I'm like, not really. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing. Not not everyone knows that type yeah. of thing. So um, it's literally just a paper gesture um, saying, hey, we don't care about appraisal. If you have proof of funds, you could do it. Say you're offering 560 on a 550. I mean, I guess more realistic, realistically, it's 660 on a 650 uh, place. Um and you waive appraisal, honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, that clause is still going to come in and save you. Um, if it comes in low, um, depends on how you view it, save or mess with you. But um, if you have proof of funds, it shouldn't matter anyway. So, yeah, I guess that's a fun fact. But All right. Then the three questions I ask everyone. Okay. We're going to rapid fire it because this camera is going to die in one minute and 52 seconds. Got it. And we're going to end with a no no video. So okay. uh, E1, E2 comes up to you asking you for advice on life, finances, whatever. It's one thing you wish you'd known when you joined the military. Um, I wish I would have focused more on, um, for one, I wish I would have bought a property way sooner. And two, I wish I would have knew how to manage my credit better. I had terrible credit when I joined. I had to rebuild my credit from the ground up. I wish I had a better um, guide on how to do that. So I would work on my credit make sure that's stable not just a high score make sure you have a solid approvable credit history and um, i'd open up a couple lines of credit that i wouldn't use on any expense that i didn't already have to have so like any overhead if i'm going out um if i do a meal prep service i would like i do now i would pay on my credit card because i know it's already going to come out of my my bank account and then at the end of the month i just allocate and just move the money to help make more money right so Managing credit. Yeah, I think, I think managing your credit's one that gets overlooked a lot as people get further down the road, but very valuable starting step. Uh, one resource, book, course, website, whatever that you recommend. Anybody looking to get started in real estate? Anyone? Okay. I would say um, I've been asked if I had to pick one form of education, what would I keep? And it would be YouTube. As mm. bad as that sounds, there's a lot you can learn on YouTube. There's a lot um, that... You know, there's a lot of bad information on YouTube. As far as a resource for real estate, I would say biggerpockets.com, not the, not just the podcast. Go on there, start reading forums, start reading some of the, just the posts in your area about like problems people are having, um, successes people are having. Find a local meetup in that area. Go to the meetup, network with other like-minded people, um, veterans and newbies. Everyone knows something you don't. Talk to everyone you know that's interested in the same goals you are. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think YouTube University is huge. And then finally, where can people get a hold of you? Um, I just switched companies, so now I'm EXP, but my email is donald at appleberryrealty.com. My Which, number, of course, will be in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Uh, my phone number is still a Missouri area code because mm. I've given it out too many times to change it now. Uh, so 417-650-1409 is my phone number. Um, I live in downtown um, my Instagram is Donald Appleberry Real Estate. Uh, follow me on there. Reach out to me on there. I honestly have so many intera- interactions on Instagram versus email or text anymore. It seems like Instagram is the main platform I'm on. So, um, yeah, that, that would be the best way. Right on. And if you want to get connected with an agent in San Diego like Donnie, or, I mean, obviously you can reach out to him, but anywhere else, you know, as, as I always mention, like that's one of the things we do is recommend agents and lenders to people in the community because there's just a lot of garbage ones out there. So we spend a lot of time trying to vet people who are actually worth the shit. So if you want a connection, uh, the link will be down below. But 
from militarymillionaire.com slash VA Realtor. And uh, happy to introduce you to people. Um, or you can reach out to Donnie, tell him you got it from this podcast so that he'll know I'm not wasting his time. But uh, as always, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Woo!